Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Fellas, it's great to be back together and talk about problems in the church. So Sam and, and Michael, you guys have, have the last two weeks have shared what you think is the number one problem in the church, being that basically when we look at the church in America in 2015, what are the things that we see and what are the top things that we believe that specifically the church in America needs corrected? And you guys kind of mentioned things that you thought were important, and but JJ and I, you know, we just don't feel like they're that important. Well, you guys can only come in third and fourth. Yeah, but, well, if fourth is like number one place, then yeah. I'm with you. And maybe uh, I'm sitting there thinking, do, are we sounding rather pessimistic to our listeners? Do we need to do a couple of programs on what we think is good in the church? Yeah, that'd probably be helpful. Yeah, but I don't want to drive listeners to it. <laughs> That's you know, right. They want the to worst hear, They want to see car wrecks All and, the doom and, gloom. and disasters. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. seriously. Yeah, exactly. So we really ought to think about that. We're not saying, folks, that there's nothing good in the local church. We really <laughs> like the church. We're all in the church. But, yeah, we kind of love it. All right, now bring us back to reality. Okay, so back to reality. Yeah, so we're kind of removing a lot of the dialogue out of like a great movie and just going for the action scenes of blown up stuff. And so we're talking about what are the things really that feel like they're blowing up in the church that uh, Lord willing, the Spirit of God moving in God's people would correct. And so JJ has the floor this broadcast. JJ, give us what you believe to be the number one thing in the church in America that you feel like needs to be corrected. Now, now before he does that, <laughs> just a little qualification. JJ is on staff with me at Bridgeway. So Uh-oh. I assume that you're not talking about Bridgeway. Is that right? <laughs> Man, well, thinking, Bridge, Bridgeway is going to be no, no. Bridge, Bridgeway will be opposing what Sam has already said. That's right. Sam is that's officially right. your boss. Yeah, Bridgeway <laughs> will be implicated and indicted in my, oh, in my wow. concerns. Yeah. Right. yeah, dude, the truth hurts uh, sometimes, <laughs> almost always. Um, yeah, and and I was thinking about that earlier as well. You know, how do how do the answers you guys have already given sort of jibe with with what I have to say? And can I, we and review sh- real quick, Sam? Yeah, do it real fast. Yeah, I I just see a, a loss of what I call the functional authority of Scripture in the church. That uh, the Bible is given token acknowledgement, but it really doesn't serve to shape and change the beliefs and the behavior of God's people. We've lost a sense of of its dynamic power to change lives. Okay, and Michael, you did legalism, right? Yeah, legalism, really the loss of uh, grace once we become Christians, how we slowly build up a rules-based system that uh, is no longer associated with a a radical grace-based system. All right, JJ, you got the floor. All right, well, I'll take a shot at it. I, as I think about it, I'll, I'll go for the the unholy trinity, as you might call it, of consumerism, individualism, and materialism. The is that un- cheating that you're the going unholy three? trinity? That is three, isn't yeah. it? I'm, I'm drawing a triangle here. Uh, okay. <laughs> Honestly, you could pick any of those three words if if you had to. But consumerism, materialism, individualism—these things that sort of swirl together in the culture—it's a culture today of choice. 
um, there's this idea that you don't have to wait. You know, delayed gratification is is irritating. It's offensive. You know, if you can't afford a new uh, Apple computer, well, we'll put you on a payment plan for three years. You know, you pay us twenty bucks a month because everybody deserves to have what they want. And then after you pay that twenty dollars a month, you won't be able to. That's right. Else. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you finish paying it off, your daughter's already stepped on it and cracked the screen, <laughs> and you don't even use it anymore. Yeah. Um, but this idea of a culture of choice of maximizing choice that uh, that whatever impulse you feel you can indulge it uh, you can afford to indulge it and you have the opportunity to indulge it you know the number of items that are on the shelves of a grocery store in America versus you know on a, on a grocery store shelf in Russia um, so so we, we've taken uh, some things that work really well in in building wealth and in, in an economy and a culture that aren't necessarily inherently wrong but uh, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money is the root of all evil. And so this love of money, I think, is fed into the proliferation of choice. Because we're a wealthy culture, you can have choice. You know, I don't think this uh, unholy trinity would flourish in, a, in, in the third world. You know, you have to have the illusion that you can have whatever you want. And that can only be preserved in a wealthy Western nation uh, like the United States. So that's sort of the petri dish in which I think this grows. So a couple of things. You know, I wrestled with with giving another answer, but then I saw how you could say uh, my other answer really sort of fits under the one I've already given. And that is sort of the inherent offensiveness of truth in its exclusivity. So, you know, people don't like this idea that if one thing is true, then then the opposite must be false. They really hate that. You know, we've been raised to believe that everybody can believe what they want and nobody's beliefs need to uh, spoil or cancel out anybody else's beliefs. Isn't this great news, you know? And so nobody ever has to get in an argument. Everybody can hang on to their precious beliefs and nobody ever has to spoil anybody else's fun. Um, but so I, how, how's that fit with the Trinity? Yeah, it's a great question. So I've realized that um, it flows back into this idea of consumerism, materialism, and individualism because being told that you can have whatever you want, uh, when it comes to worldviews and beliefs and religion, you mm -hmm. go shopping as well. Mm -hmm. And so you can pick whatever you want off the shelf, whatever strikes you, whatever fits your palate, whatever you're craving, whatever you're in the mood for. And someone coming along and telling you that it's not true because something else is true, you just say, well, I want it. And it's there on the shelf and I'm going to buy it. I don't care what you say. You know, it works yeah. for me. Pragmatically, yeah. I want this. Mm. So I think you could say that that culture of of being offended by the inherent exclusivity of truth really could be a symptom of this culture of choice that you can have whatever you want. And I'll give you guys two experiential examples um, and then and then I'll, I'll let you guys respond. One is uh, Tim Keller, who's been you know church planting in Manhattan for the last 35 years, no longer a church planter, but planted there in Manhattan. Uh, why that's interesting is because you're getting sort of the, the young professionals, the people coming out of the Ivy League schools, some of the best and the brightest, people that have thought deeply about religion and politics and culture, and he's trying to, to reach them. Um, and of course, they had some very sort of intellectual and, and thought out ways in which they might have resisted the gospel, and, and Keller did a lot of listening. So that's why I enjoy listening to his perspective. But someone in my generation asked him, you know, if you could say one thing to our generation, what would it be? I'm 35. And Keller said something very devastating that a lot of people have requoted. He said, you are the generation uh, most afraid of real community because it inevitably limits freedom and choice. Mm. Get over your fear. So you mm. can see those threads of what I just said. You know, this, this symptom of um, uh, being offended by biblical community. You know, I don't like that. You're telling me I have to do this thing. Well, I don't want to do that thing. Well, and why is it so scary to you? You know, if we come from the perspective of fear, well, it limits my freedom and choice. I don't want to be limited. I want to go shopping. I want to broaden my options, not narrow them. Mm. But of course, biblical community is a narrowing. You know, you covenant with these people. You submit to these elders. You sit under this teaching. 
Um, and I think that's really bothersome for people. They're going, that's so limiting. Hasn't modern technology brought the fact that I can listen on podcasts to whatever teacher uh, titillates me the most, and then I can you know, attend this community group at this church, and I can attend this support group at this church, and I can go to this event at this church. Shouldn't I be able to go shopping here? Why should I? If you I... keep talking, you're going to offend every person. That's that right. That's right. Why, why should I limit my freedom of choice? Haven't we figured that one out so that we don't have to do that? Because we've figured it out in every other realm of life when it comes to food and cars and jobs and all those things. One more experiential example. I've noticed that when I, when I share that Keller example, people lean forward. I think it resonates with something inside them. It's kind of a gotcha moment where they go, oh, wow, I never realized that's what was making me lean back. I think that might be true. Mm-hmm. Paul Miller uh, is famously given another example of this as well. He said, we come to community in two different ways. And whenever I share this example, again, people, you can kind of hear them going, Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know. Uh, Paul Miller says the biggest problem people have when they're looking for the perfect community is just that. They're either shopping. You don't find community. You create it through love, Paul Miller says. And then he says, look how this transforms the way you enter a room of strangers. Our instinctive thought is, who do I know? Who am I comfortable with? There's nothing wrong with those questions. But Miller says the Jesus questions that create communities are, who can I love and who is left out? So then you get two different formulas for community, the one that the unholy trinity creates and the biblical one. The unholy trinity creates this formula, search for a community where I'm loved and then inevitably become disappointed with community. Mm-hmm. The biblical model is show God's love and create community. So those are sort of two experiential examples of, of how this can play itself out. So let me, let me just for the sake of clarification here, uh, these, this unholy trinity, consumerism, individualism, materialism. So let me push back, just not because please, I disagree please. with you, but because I want greater clarity. <clears throat> um, it's, o- it's okay if you disagree yeah, with that. That's all right. <laughs> um, we are to come to church in order to consume. We are to come in order to eat and to feast on all that God is for us in Jesus. We are hungry creatures. We need to ingest, as it were, everything a local church offers. We ingest the Word of God. Uh, we, we need love from other people. Um, so there is a legitimate form of consumption. There's also a legitimate form of individualism. We are individuals. Each individual has unique needs. Each individual has desires. Uh, and uh, we want to acknowledge that uh, each individual has a different history and a different experience. And we know that God has created, as First Timothy 4 says, all things for us to enjoy as long as we receive with gratitude. So material reality isn't inherently bad. So given the fact that there's a legitimate flip side to each of these, J.J., I'm, I'm kind of asking you yeah. and you other guys as question. well. Yeah. Give me the, the the inverse, the bad side. How do these things go wrong? Well, Yeah, l- let me give you an example okay, from 2 Timothy 4. You know, 2 Timothy 4 uh, verse 3, Paul warns Timothy, Hey, Timothy, you need to be prepared because the time's coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Why? Having itching ears, they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to do what? To suit their own passions. So you bet you come to get fed. You, and, and if I don't get fed, I'm going to have a problem with that because Scripture says that the elders are, are to feed the flock of God. They're to shepherd the flock of God. But, but there's something very different going on when someone says, I want to go find myself a teacher that's going to suit my own passions. And, of course, that's kind of a technical term in the New Testament for uh, sinful desires, right? So uh, there's good desire. De- desire is not inherently evil. But then there's bad desire, you know, sinful passions. I, I want this teacher to conform himself 
to what makes me feel good and what I want. I don't want him pushing against those things. I want him reinforcing those things. So, yeah. so you're right. You know, there's a grain of truth in the idea that, that we are individuals, right? You know, we don't believe in this sort of collectivism that erases individuality. We believe in that, you know, uh, private property, uh, your personality, your place in the body, your unique spiritual gifts. All those things are true. Individualism makes a monster out of it, right? And it says, yeah. you know, me and mine and what I want is going to rule the day. Yeah, and I would I would defend Sam. I would go uh, go against you and def- defend JJ. Even though I usually enjoy going against JJ, and it's fun to uh, attack him on every point, even if I think he's right. He's uh, imminently attackable. <laughs> he, he is attackable, especially with his big poofy beard he has <laughs> yeah, right now. Right. Uh, but I think the key, Sam, is the ism that's after sure. each one of those. I think that that's the key point: is that yes, we are consumers, and we're made to consume things. You know, Adam and Eve in a garden are growing things to consume them and that's not a bad thing that's a good thing and uh, we are material beings you know we're made out of clay and we'll return to the clay and we are individuals and and that's a that's a beautiful thing uh, that God not only speaks in community terms but he speaks in individual terms at times and uses those uh, those uh, third person singular when he speaks individually to each of us at times but yeah, I would agree. I think that the ism that JJ pointed out is when those things, I think materialism means that material things are more important than anything else. Consumerism means that consuming things is more important than anything else. So it, it beca- I think ism means those become idolatrous. Uh, individualism means that I am more important than anything else. So, so if a tornado goes through more, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little sad for those people, but I'm mainly just happy it didn't hit me. Uh, because I am the center of my universe. And of course, we should be thankful if a tornado doesn't go through our neighborhood. That should be a thankful thing. But individualism means I really don't care that much about those people because I'm the one that's looking out for me and that's it, you know. And, And I think that that is... Uh, I agree with JJ when he was talking. Uh, I, of course, will share something that I think uh, I believe is more important than this. <laughs> but um, when he was talking, I actually was thinking about Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, who was who became a Christian in Russia uh, a while ago. I think he died recently. Uh, but Solzhenitsyn was was very much. Uh, persecuted by Russia. He spent time in the gulag. Uh, he became a believer, and then basically all of Russia was against him. He started writing these these beautiful works, uh, and Solzhenitsyn was invited to come to Harvard in 1978 and give an address. And in his Harvard address, I think everyone was waiting for Solzhenitsyn to just absolutely attack Russia, who had been attacking him, and to say, oh, I'm so glad I'm in America now. America is awesome, and this is all going to be beautiful. And what Solzhenitsyn did was stand up and basically just attack Russia, which we all applauded, and then he attacked America (laughs) and said basically, and then uh, I just brought up a little bit of his speech here. After he he says some good things about America, he says, um, but should someone ask me whether I would indicate the West or such as it is today as a model to my country? So should Russia become like America? Frankly, he says, I would have to answer negatively. No, I could not recommend your society in its present state as an ideal for the transformation of ours. Through intense suffering, our country has now achieved a spiritual development of such intensity that the Western system in its present state of spiritual exhaustion does not look attractive. Even those characteristics of your life, which I've just mentioned, are extremely saddening. 
And I think what, what he is pointing out is like, yes, it is good that there are things to consume in America. It's good that we have material things. It's good that we have individual freedom. But I think all of those, he would say, are freedom from people are using that freedom from being what they're supposed to be doing, not for being who they're supposed to be. Michael's been eerily silent. Well, it's this, because he's it? on Amazon getting ready to buy stuff because he's so into materialism <laughs> that he I'm can't trying to set a payment no, I, I, I see something percolating over here that's he's about ready to... He's overwhelmed by his guilt of individualism. <laughs> well, I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to clarify in my own mind. When we're talking about materialism in America, when we're talking about materialism as it seeps over into the church, we would definitely say materialism in America and as a society is a problem. And it is a problem that we have as Americans. And are you saying that that materialism is the problem or the materialism as it seeps into the church as we become materialistic well, he, looking for the same type he, here's of Here's what I would say, though. I, I think it might be naive, though, for us to say that there is a difference between the atmosphere of America and the atmosphere of the church. I think many times we find that those go hand in hand. I was talking to him. Yeah, it's a great way to frame well, the question, Michael. I'm, yeah, no, there isn't, but there yeah. should be. The, yeah. There should be. There should <laughs> yeah. be. But I think we should assume, though, that, that the church is filled with people who are hearing about Jesus for the first time, perhaps. And so in our churches, I think we're going to have a pretty good representation. Well, the reason why I ask this, because um, I have heard many times when we are talking to third world countries, and they uh, they Developing might ask, countries, please. Developing countries. Uh, what is the, in your church situation, and you look at the church situation in America, what is the big difference? And then they would cite materialism, that we are so self-consumed and that we don't look to their needs or the needs of people who are uh, less fortunate than us. And we're always concerned about what we don't have rather than reaching out to those who do not have uh, as, as uh, their situation is. Yeah, we're meant to be countercultural when it comes to these issues. And I guess, you know, you're right. What I'm saying is here the culture is influencing the church negatively. You know, first of all, you know, we're asking a fish to describe water. So often we're not even aware that mm -hmm. it's how we think, that it's how we make decisions, that it's how we evaluate things. So that's extremely dangerous. Secondly, if we don't know which way the water's flowing, it's pretty hard to know how to swim upstream. You know, so this is an area where we need to be swimming upstream. But first got to identify which way the current is running. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking about these... Uh, about these terms, these isms. Um, I've been in ministry for about 41 years now, and I'm trying to think if I ever had anybody confess these as problems in their life. I don't know. I've, I've never had anybody say, boy, I'm, I'm so individualistic. I, I've never heard that. Um, I'd never heard anybody say, I, I want to confess the sin of consumerism. That's right. <laughs> now, That's right. Uh, materialism... You know, somebody might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a shopaholic. I know I need to get rid of that, and I, I depend too much on money. But I've never really heard anybody honestly confess a struggle. Why are, why are we so blind yeah. to these realities in our lives? Well, know. yeah, and, and, they're, and they're things that are up, upheld as virtues in our culture, and they're sort of the— uh, the sign that we've won the game, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, look, it works. You know, this is what we were striving for. We've got it. We can have whatever we want and we don't ever have to deny ourselves. Isn't this exciting? Yeah. You know, so we, uh, there's a sense in which having freedom to select things is not inherently bad, 
but but whenever you talk about what you gain, you have to always also ask what do you lose, you know, and that's yeah. what Solzhenitsyn was probably saying. You know, there are some good things in the culture as long as you're very wary of some bad things that come alongside with it, yeah. uh, and that's true. You know, I, I remember reading two different people that have been doing biblical counseling for over 30 years, and they both said something similar to what you said, Sam. They said, you know what's funny? In over 30 years of counseling with people, I've never had someone come to me confessing greed. Not even once, mm-hmm. you know, anger, pride, lust, sure, envy, but greed, you know, who confesses greed? I've never heard anyone confess greed. Yeah, well, and I would agree too. I, I'd, I'd like to confess. I'm <laughs> I am a greedy guy. <laughs> I, I would say though too, Sam, I, I agree that I've never heard someone confess this, but I've seen the symptoms of these all the time. Oh, sure. You know, so someone with consumerism, you know, I mean, even just, we were talking about this before the broadcast, people leaving churches for just really bizarre our reasons and really it's consumer reasons you know like in the buffet of all the churches you didn't you didn't serve this one dish and so me and my family are out of here we're going to go find a different church or you, you served know. squash and we didn't like its taste or you yeah. served some other something else that we disagreed with and because of that well, and Sam, yeah. I like the way you said that because, you know, that was how I earlier this morning reconciled, you know, the reason that you gave, I think, fits with mine. And you could argue about which one leads to which, but they're they're very simpatico in the sense of, you know, if I come to you and you serve something I don't like, and then you say, well, but this is what the scripture says. And then the person could say, well, yeah, but that would limit my freedom and choice. So I don't like what the scripture says. So, you yeah. know, the functional authority of scripture does not coexist well with this with this ideology. And by the way, way to mention simpatico. In I was impressed. I, I'm, I'm looking it up on my phone, the definition. Hey, so here's a question then. What's the solution to this? I mean, you, JJ, you've raised the problem, which it's obvious it's very real. So what I'm so should glad you pastors asked, and local churches be doing? I'm just thinking about our own fellowship. Yep. I know Tim's thinking about... Uh, Frontline, of course, you all are free from these sins, aren't you? Uh, uh, pretty close. Pretty I mean, we're on, we're on the way out. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> what do what do we do? I mean, I, how do how do I preach? How do you lead our our small groups in such a way that we begin to first awaken people to the reality of this in their hearts because they're yeah. they're pretty much oblivious to it. Yeah. And then what do we do to to redirect them? Well, I was just teaching on this in our membership class yesterday morning, and uh, and I listed the unholy trinity for them, and then I went to what one author has rightly called Christ's magnum opus, Christ's magnum opus, Ephesians 4. Uh, We're not going to shame them into changing this behavior. We're not Mm going to make them feel sufficiently bad about it and embarrassed about it that they drop it. Um, they're going to have to actually change the way they believe and what they desire. You know, and I, and I told the class that yesterday. You're going to have to believe something differently about how you relate to other believers, mm-hmm. your local church, and Big C Church in Oklahoma City. And until those beliefs change, your behavior won't change. So you have to go to Ephesians 4 to discover that we're members one of another, mm-hmm. that you're not floating out on an island, uh, that you've been given unique gifts and abilities, and you have a responsibility to build up your brothers and sisters so that they can grow up into full maturity in Christ. And unless you do that, they can't grow up into full maturity because God uses means, and this is the means that he's seen fit to use for each of us to grow up in maturity. So all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, that's a completely different way to think about myself in relationship to the local church. Well, think of each one of these and think of them as the opposite. So we've got what is the opposite of individualism? What is the opposite of consumerism? And what is the opposite of materialism? 
And I think whenever you look at each one of these and just say, what is the opposite? You say individualism. Now you're looking out for the needs of others. You're not just looking towards yourself and individualistically, what do I need? What do I need to be satisfied? Consumerism, you're not caught up in the, I think, just kind of this cultural norm of having to have what's new, what's next, or just even be up on it. And oftentimes when we see people like this, you know, you, you say, have you seen the latest iPhone? Have you seen the newest gadget that's out? And if they don't have any clue about it, you're kind of like, oh, you know, push this guy off the side. One of these days he'll be up and he'll be able to get caught up in the flow and be able to receive text messages the way we do and do the things that we do in order to communicate. And you almost feel as if they're off in the ice age, if they're not caught up in the consumerism. And the materialism, just the opposite of that, is obviously you're not, you're not always needing stuff, buying stuff, um, uh, trying to fulfill this void within you that that is empty if you do not have for yourself more and more and more and more. Now, you take the opposite of those and you say, what does that look like? And all of those are very virtuous. They're just kind of distant from us. We don't know how to deal with people that are really radically in this direction. You can be this way a little bit. Or, or maybe you can be a, a few iPhones behind, but when you're real radical, you're real distant, then we don't know how to relate to you. Hey, here's a challenging question to you. I potentially, now I don't want to sound like the Sunday school answer guy, but potentially, what do you think instead of the opposite of those things being what you just mentioned, what if the opposite of those things is the person of Jesus? That's too simplistic for me. Is it too simplistic? Or, well, what I wonder is like truly, if like you say, well, you shouldn't be consumeristic, so be the opposite of that. Just give away a lot of money. Or like, is that truly the answer or is it the opposite is, is the person of Jesus? Well, let me, let me throw in my two cents. Okay. Uh, I just finished preaching through Hebrews 13 and there he says, uh, keep your life free from the love of money. So here we're talking about consumerism, materialism. And um, be content with what you have because he has said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that sounds so simplistic. You mean, okay, you're saying the promise of God's presence, all that he is for me in Jesus is sufficient to my soul that I can be set free from this consumeristic, materialistic, uh, which is obviously driven by an individualism which says, I, I want that, I deserve it, I should have it. And his simple appeal is, rest content with what God is for you in Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.